I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome. I'm Guy Barter. Here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey, it's lovely to see the first signs of spring. The yellow and purple points of crocuses poking through the grass, an optimistic sight despite the February chill. Later in this edition of the Royal Horticultural Society Gardening Podcast, we're looking forward to the spring and hearing about the highlights of the upcoming RHS flower shows which begin next week in London, starting with the early spring plant fair, which is always the herald of brighter days ahead. Plus, we'll have details of opportunities for gardeners and garden photographers to demonstrate their skills and perhaps win some prizes. But first, let's visit the advisory team to hear some expert solutions for your winter garden woes as they tackle questions that have been troubling gardeners this month. I'm Jenny Bowden. I'm Lee Hunt. I'm Rebecca Mealy. M. Fletcher from Ashford, Kent is having some rabbit troubles. How can I stop the wild rabbits eating the tops off my spring bulbs as they appear? Well, they love some bulbs better than others. Um, Tulips, for one, they will tend to nibble quite happily, where things like uh, daffodils they're less keen on because they contain things that are a bit more toxic. So uh, those tend to get left. But when one gets in, they can do a lot of eating. So it's worth trying your best to either protect them or keep them out. So keeping them out of your garden is obviously the, the way of keeping all your plants, not just your bulbs, really in good condition Um, and that might just mean using some chicken wire around the perimeter but it needs to be buried into the ground as well so a good sort of six to inches to a foot the deeper the better really um, and angle it out from the edge of your garden so that when they burrow down they hit it rather than kind of being able to lap underneath it and get it's actually not as it's not as big a job as you might think in terms of digging down because as lee says you're you're actually turning the wire out by about a foot and then you put turf over that sort of folded out foot's worth of wire and of course the rabbits don't think to go out they'll only burrow right next to the perpendicular and it absolutely has them foiled um and it's very very effective and that that really is about it. There is a there is a product that you can spray onto your plants, which you could have a go at. It's called Grazers, and it's totally organic, and it just makes the foliage taste horrible to the to the rabbits. And 
other anything else that might have a graze really um but it does get washed off when it rains so you have to reapply it and of course as the plant grows you're getting fresh foliage coming out that you need to coat in it but it's it's just a thought but as lee says daffodils aren't affected that that's a real relief isn't it there are a few things that they won't go near i mean obviously you just mentioned about fencing the whole garden but what if you just had a few bulbs what would you do um, well you can wire up you can wire individual plants but it's not 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 going to look too look too good but yeah you can do localized fencing um old hanging baskets turned upside down are quite a good way of of you know of preventing those early shoots getting nibbled luke gower asks when's the correct time to apply nematodes and do they work on slugs and snails so what are nematodes nematodes are little worms that are really fine sometimes they're actually microscopic and what they do is they prey on different um pests and we use them to actually control these like slugs and snails so what with with slugs what they do is they enter the slug through their um breathing holes and then and then enter their lungs lay their eggs and then the slug dies a quite a nasty death really um so that's how they work um but they work best when the soil's nice and warm and moist because they need to have a nice film of moisture around them um, so they can move through the soil and find their prey. So I, it's, it's all about actually keeping an eye on the actual soil temperatures. So they need to be above 5C really for the nematodes that we'd use on slugs and snails. But they'll only really get the little snails. They, they don't they won't affect the larger snails so the very newly hatched ones you might be lucky to to get them controlled a bit as well but but mainly for the snails you're going to need different controls unfortunately they're often part of the arsenal aren't they that um so trying to do good culture grow less susceptible plants um and then try sort of more localized other slug controls at times just where you you know you've got something really sensitive can help so yeah it's all part of the program of keeping what's still quite a tricky pest at bay lynn jones from bedford propagating passion flowers i have a beautiful white passion flower and i'd like to cut off bits to give friends how can i propagate it one of the easiest ways of propagating them is actually layering them. So that's where you're, you've got a little pot or you're putting it to the side into the ground and you're actually bending down one of the shoots and actually popping it into the pot where, where the leaf node is and pinning it in with a bit of wire. Um, and then what will happen is from where those leaf scars are, it will grow roots and then that will become a, a natural and it's still being supported by the parent plant but then it will actually become a plant in its own right and then you snip it off from the parent plant like cutting the umbilical cord and then you've got a little baby plant in the pot all ready to go um, and then the, this way is a lot less tasking than actually watering cuttings or maintaining cuttings and um, you can take softwood cuttings and, and semi-ripe cuttings but uh, you know i think layering is the, the easy way to go the softwood cuttings they are very soft aren't they on passion flower and we need that material in june and july when it's most available because the plant's been busy growing by that point um, and those shoot tips are very soft so um, we want about a, a four inch or ten centimeter cutting but i'd be tempted to pinch the tip out because it tends to uh, wilt and start to rot quite quickly so taking that out means you've got a firmer section of stem back and i'd take something like half perlite half multi-purpose compost fill a pot dibble them around the edge so make a little hole push them in firm the compost back and then i'd be tempted to put 
a little bag over the top but not too firmly because I think you want some air in as well because else it will just rot away and keep the compost just moist I think you should get some to root quite quite well but if you've got a heated propagator it's so much easier so Rhodes Trafford has got a romantic question with Valentine's Day upon us what are the most interesting plants to, to give as a romantic gift not roses um, maybe something with a heart-shaped leaf or flowers Ooh, that's a good one I like that and um, this there's some, there's some quite lovely ones. And the more you think about it, the more more plants that, that there are that would be suitable. Um, the classic one that came to mind first was is a thing called a sweetheart hoyer, which is a succulent. And when you buy it in the shops, it literally is just a heart-shaped leaf, one very, very succulent leaf put in the compost. So it is a heart in a pot. That's it. And the other one that sprang to mind is called Serapedia, which is string of hearts. So it's a, a weeping succulent plant. It's very, very good because it's tolerant of, of anything that you throw at it. It, it. it tolerates very dry, dry conditions. So you could have it on a shelf inside the house and it will literally cascade down. And it's got quite thick succulent leaves. They're only about a centimetre and a half each leaf on these long long stems and they're kind of mottly green color and it's really it's really rather pretty i uh, love the, so, i like the common name of that one so that's hearts on strings hearts on strings yeah 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 so that's a good one i've also been thinking about evergreens as well because evergreen has that traditional connotation of long lasting and obviously you'd hope that love is going to last so that sounds like a good idea to me I've also been thinking, therefore, an evergreen that flowers at this time of year. So I've gone for camellias. There's a lot of potential hot water for the names that you could choose with camellias. So I've gone for the rather neutrally named, i.e. it's not named after a person, Albaplina, which is a beautiful white double, so very pure. Um, if you want to be more saucy, there is a wonderful red that's also got very shapely dark petals, and that one's called Black Lace. Jess Radcliffe Oliver via Facebook is asking, how can we make our allotment plot child friendly and less time consuming? They've got six year old twins. Mm. I think it's all about choosing what you're going to grow. So it's choosing things like courgettes, runner beans and actually things that are quite robust plants that don't mind a little bit neglect now and then. And the old pumpkin, you know, pumpkins are great for kids. And, and actually looking at things like so mulching to help control weeds because um, it's, it's looking at the time consuming things of an allotment. So a lot of the time it's weeding and watering. So it's making watering more effective and efficient. So making sure that plants have got a little bit of a moat around them to help trap the water or may, maybe bury a bottle and then water into the bottle and then you've got the, that slow delivery of water there. So it's looking at, you know, time-saving um, activities. I think the nice thing about things like courgettes as well, not only do they grow, which gives, you know, really obvious uh, sign for the children that they are doing something as you could make your weekly or fortnightly returns, hopefully to see how things are going. But they do cover a lot of area, don't they? So one plant can easily cover a, a good couple of metres square um, and that foliage itself will keep the weeds down. So things like that are part of your so labour saving, so that kind of choice. I also just think things that last a long time, so perennials, so things like rhubarb and if you've got a few fruit bushes as well things like black currants um, 
things that they go obviously might they you know you might have to introduce them to the flavors but can be very much parts of things that they remember if we think of rhubarb and custard i think often we think of our childhood days so i think it might not be natural things for children but it's things that they do get to love i think it's things that you can eat straight away as well so peas because peas don't really make it home they just get eaten by the time <laughs> they're just uh just fantastic Strawberries and raspberries have got to be allowed yeah. as well. Strawberries not the easiest crop to, to necessarily get good amounts out of, but I think in terms of kind of showing children, and also they cover a lot of ground as well. So um, I just think I'd mulch between the rows to make sure that they don't get too weed infested along the way. I find that raspberries in my garden don't actually need netting as well, which is pretty low maintenance, whereas strawberries get eaten by squirrels, uh, they get eaten by the birds, they get eaten by mice, so everything gets there before me. But but the raspberries are actually kind of hassle-free. That sounds like sound advice, so ditch the strawberries and go for the raspberries. Sorry, Lee. <laughs> Our next question is from Bill Evans about samphire. Is it only a marsh or seaboard a plant, or can I cultivate it at home? I live in Birmingham in a medium-sized garden, north-facing with a small pond. Well, Birmingham is about as far as you can get from the sea in the British Isles, so is it possible, Becky? It certainly is, but I would definitely think about growing it in a container um, and then giving the plant the ideal conditions that it wants in, in that container. So giving it the right soil, making sure that you're watering with salt added to the water because that's what it requires. It's used to growing in salt marshes. Um, you can buy it from as seed or as plants online. Um, and, you know, it's quite readily available now. It's, it's quite, I, I do quite like samphire. It's gorgeous. It's really tasty. So I'd probably put plant the uh, plant the young plants or grow on grow on seedlings um, and put them into a John Innes compost quite quite a heavy compost that's going to hold on to the moisture and uh, ideally you'd be you'd be watering that that container with with salty water and I think you had the right dilution rate didn't you Becky so it's one teaspoon to one pint of water so you don't want it completely too saline but you, you do want the salt in there and you're going to be picking those brand new shoots, really succulent, succulent yeah, shoots. Nice succulent shoots. And then also the thing is, towards the end of the season, you want to be allowing it to flower and then it sets its seed and then you've got, you know, a continuation from for next year. The advisory team gives free help on any gardening inquiry to RHS members throughout the year. You can find a link to information on how to join how to submit an inquiry, and to all the other items in today's podcast on our page on the RHS website, rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. Whilst the chilly February weather might not make it the ideal time to garden, it's the perfect time for garden photography. Winter landscapes, wildlife footprints in the snow, the delicate frosting on foliage and the stark light can create some stunning images. It's not surprising that winter is a popular theme in the entries to the RHS annual garden photography competition. Attracting thousands of entries from across the globe, the competition is open until the 1st of March. We spoke to one of the organisers at a press conference to find out more. 
I'm Chris Young, I'm the editor of The Garden magazine and also the chair of the judges for the RHS Photographic Competition. So the competition has been running for quite a few years now and we have still got the competition open. It runs until the 1st of March. We've got nine different categories and what we're really wanting to do is to get people to marry their love of photography with their love of gardens, plants and landscape and to enter our competition. Anyone can enter. You don't have to be professional, you don't have to be young, you don't have to be old. You can be all of it. You just have to have a passion for plants and gardens, wildlife, and for taking a photograph. It's really easy to enter because so many people have smartphones where you can take a photograph, as well as digital cameras, of course. But it's just a simple upload to the RHS website. You can upload five free images, put them into the category you want, and there you go. There you've entered the competition, and you've got a chance to win a whole range of prizes from vouchers to cash. All of our categories and our rules and regulations are on the RHS website at rhs.org.uk forward slash photocomp. There's quite a range of categories to enter, whether you've got a passion for wildlife or plants, or if you're a really strong photographer. So there's the abstract category, which really can show your artistic integrity and your endeavour in photography. There's also other options about gardens or people gardening in communities or in urban areas. We've also got a social media category and people on our social media such as Facebook or Twitter can choose and select the images that they think are really good and then they come forward to be judged as well. So we really hope that there's a category for everybody. We do the judging in April and then we'll be able to crown the winner of the photographic competition in July at a London show that we put on. We put some of the winning entries in the Garden magazine, which is the members' magazine, and we also put all of the images in a gallery on the website. In addition, we also have a touring exhibition, so those visitors who go to the four RHS gardens will see an exhibition of the photographs uh, during the summer and into autumn. We just want to see what's out there and what people are taking photographs of. Chris Young. If you're looking for subjects for your photographs for the competition, why not visit one of our RHS gardens? There are plenty of activities for the whole family to enjoy throughout the year, as well as the plants, trees and beds and borders to inspire your artistic eye. Our featured event this month is at RHS Garden Harlow Carr in North Yorkshire, where you can catch the final days of our Women in Horticulture exhibition celebrating the female educators, gardeners, scientists, artists and writers who changed the way we garden over the last century. It's free with normal garden entry and runs until the 25th of February. And don't forget, we've got plenty of fun holiday activities at all RHS gardens to delight children, whatever the weather. And this half term, it's all about mud and machines. In London, the show season kicks off with a bang and an extravaganza of snowdrops in the celebration of seasonal flowers that is the RHS Early Spring Plant Fair. Hello, I am Dario Spagnoli. I am the Deputy Show Manager for the London Shows, speaking at Vincent Square, where we have our two exhibition halls, the Lindley and the Lawrence Hall, which is where we hold our shows. As part of the London Shows, we have a resident floral artist. This year, our resident floral artist is Zeta Elsie, who's a London-based floral designer. She will be producing a very contemporary floral displays, so hopefully something that's unusual, which you haven't seen before, and can give you ideas for your own home. So whilst you're being inspired by the amazing floral design, there will be the opportunity to take part in floral workshops, which will be run at our shows The early spring plant fair will have a bit of a Valentine's theme. You do get the opportunity to create a hand-tied bouquet for your loved one. 
And this hand-tied bouquet will be based on the language of flowers. So you will be able to choose from a selection of flowers which each have an individual meaning. And then once they're put together in the bouquet, it will create a message for your loved one. Coming up on the 5th to the 7th of April, we have the RHS London Orchid Show and Plant Fair. I cannot express more how amazing some of these plants actually are. We have exhibitors coming from all over the world to exhibit their rare and unusual and amazing and beautiful and exotic and colourful orchids. Uh, every show throughout the year, we have four main shows, we'll have a late event. The late events take place on the first day of the show. They are an evening event running from 5pm until 9pm. The late events were introduced as a way to allow visitors who aren't able to make the shows during the day and also to give people a more relaxed and informal setting to engage with growers, look at the installations we have. It's an easier way to connect with the wonderful world of plants so when you arrive, you'll get a free drink, and as you enter into uh, one of the halls, the first thing that you will see is an installation, which generally will sum up what the show is all about. For example, at our early spring plant fair, in the Lindley Hall, we are going to have a contemporary installation of snowdrops. This installation will be suspended from the ceiling, and you'll be able to look at the actual flowers of the snowdrop at eye level. So it allows you to appreciate the flower. Mixed in amongst this, there will also be some snowdrops from famous gardens. Our own RHS president himself, who is a very passionate glamphophile, Sir Nicholas Bacon, will be donating from his collection. We will also have donations from Lord Hesseltine, Middleton House as well. We'll also be sending in Galanthus placatus EA bowls. This particular variety was discovered in their garden in 2004 and created a lot of attention at the time because of its flower form, which is quite special and quite beautiful. Other late events that we have coming up in the year include our late event at the Urban Show, which takes place in October. This particular show is very much focused on houseplants and planting in an urban setting. So for anybody who lives in a city with a balcony, um, windowsill or you know small courtyard garden it's it's a perfect place for you to come along be inspired by some very modern ideas in terms of planting design and obviously get yourself involved in some workshops at this event you can easily take away whatever you think will work for you plenty of ideas to be had in addition to the London shows, there are competitions taking place across the year. We have prize-winning hyacinths, daffodils, rhododendrons, camellias, vegetables, fruits, and giant pumpkin competition, which is always fascinating and amazing to see. The competitions are open to everybody. There's a lot of entries. Um, it is best for you to go online, look up RHS Horticultural Competitions, and you will find full details of how to enter nationwide. There's something for everybody. I'm sure that you have one of those in your garden somewhere. So take the opportunity to have a look outside and enter your prize-winning bloom this year. The Early Spring Plant Fair is on the 13th and 14th of February in the Lindley and Lawrence Halls in London, an ideal Valentine's Day out. We'll bring you exclusive interviews and reports from the show in our next podcast. One RHS horticultural competition which is always popular with gardeners of all levels of experience is the annual People's Dahlia competition. And now is the perfect time to start thinking about your entries.
Here is Vanessa Penn to tell us more. Hello, my name is Vanessa Penn. I'm the Partnership Coordinator at RHS Wisley and I work with all our lovely plant societies to put on a whole range of events during the year. So yes, as part of the National Dahlia Show at Wisley Flower Show, we'll be hosting our popular People's Choice competition. It's on Saturday the 8th and Sunday the 9th and we'd love as many people to come along and take part and it gives visitors the opportunity to bring their favourite garden or allotment dahlia in to a competitive class at Wisley and it's just great fun for everybody else. It's free to enter and all you need to do is bring along your favourite dahlias by 12 o'clock on either the Saturday or the Sunday. You don't need anything else. We'll provide all the equipment to stage it for you, cut it for you, make sure it looks its best and then you will just have to wait until 12 o'clock to find out whether you've won anything. There are first, second and third prizes on both days which includes prizes of RHS gift vouchers and some other equipment and also over the whole weekend the People's Choice Award which the visitors all vote for which is a lovely part of the competition too. Vanessa Penn Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for in this edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. As I mentioned before, you can find links to all the subjects and events discussed today on our page on the RHS website, rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, you can join in the conversation via our social media. For now, from me, Guy Barter, and all the podcast team, goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.